So one of the most impactful things that I've done with some of my programs over the years, and I've seen other coaches do, is a retreat, a getaway experience with your players. But we need to be super intentional in how we uh, facilitate and deliver that type of team retreat or experience. And I'm excited to pick up the second part of our conversation with Boomer Roberts from Purdue University Northwest. And he's gonna share some really practical things that they do to create an exceptional uh, team retreat that some of his players have said is the best weekend of their lives. Also, if you have not listened to episode 135 yet, uh, Boomer Roberts shares some other really incredible uh, transformational principles that I think every coach needs to hear. You're listening to the Coaching Culture Podcast. I'm JP Nurbin alongside my co-host, Nate Sanderson. Every week in around 30 minutes, we're giving you strategies and tools for you to grow as a leader and build your culture. We know the reason why most teams struggle, and that is because they have a dysfunctional culture. This leaves coaches frustrated with entitled players, losing seasons, and toxic environments. And at Thrive on Challenge, we believe that the silver bullet is a transformational culture. We help coaches to create and sustain transformational cultures so they can strengthen relationships, raise standards, and inspire others to make an impact. To learn more about our workshops, retreats, and mentorship program, go to thriveonchallenge.com. You can also get the Coaching Notes PDFs for every Coaching Culture episode by subscribing to our weekly newsletter. You're listening to episode 136, Ideas for Your Next Team Retreat with Boomer Roberts. Well, boom, we referenced the uh, the team retreat um, that you guys uh, do every year during the preseason. And and uh, as I mentioned before, I got to be able to, to kind of be a fly on the wall for that a couple of years ago. Um, you want to just tell us a little bit about, number one, I think this is one of the most important things that happens on an annual basis in your program for establishing standards and building relationships. But it's also a lot of fun. It was fun just to watch and kind of be part of it on the sideline. Um, over a couple of days. You want to just give us a, kind of some insight into what you do at your team retreat uh, in the preseason? Yeah, it's outside of the national tournament. It's it's the most fun time of the year, and our guys would echo that. Um, we get away from, you know, a Friday afternoon to a Sunday morning, and we put the phones up, um, and we just dive into life together. So, we do things, we have a decathlon. Um, and again, this was not my idea. We've taken it and run with it, but I learned this from Coach Soliday at, at, at Vanguard and I loved it so much that we just kept it. Um, but we do a decathlon of games that has nothing to do with basketball from catchphrase or um, spike ball um, to things like two truths and a lie or speed softball um, where you're competing, but it has nothing to do with the gym or the weight room or basketball. Um, we eat a lot of food, um, as coaches, we, we cook for them. We, you know, I think I made 210 pancakes or something last year. It took like three hours. Um, we grill, um, and then we just have space to, to, um, jump in to, uh, hear stories. We have, we have guys get up in front and share their stories. Um, we have individual, um, meetings with, we assign guys from different backgrounds to interview each other and then present those in front of the team. Um, we, we do team goals. We do individual goals. We set a vision, vision cast for what we're going to be about. Um, this is normally a month 
or so. It's, it's normally at the end of September, early October, where we've been together for a few weeks, but we haven't really experienced, you know, a practice setting yet because of the NCAA rules and regulations. And um, it's just a chance for us to be, um, be still and listen and then be active and engaged and compete. And just um, for some of these guys, they've, they've told us that this is the greatest weekend of their lives because some of us had family vacations every year, whether it's hopping in your Dodge Caravan and driving three hours to the Grand Canyon for a weekend, that still counts, you know? Some of these guys have never had that. And so for them, this is a chance just to be who they are in a natural light and not be um, under a microscope and just just enjoy family. So uh, it's it's a great experience. Coaches love it as much as our players do. Um, and uh, And we also, let it be known if any of my players end up listening to this, the coaches are the reigning champs um 2019 team retreat champions well it's good to get that on the record here i know when i was there there was a couple things that were really unique um that again i think your players really engaged in one was skits you, you want to talk a little bit about the skits <laughs> that happened at retreat yeah this is dangerous but uh you gotta you gotta let go of your ego so skits is something we do um, this is one of the few things we don't score in our program almost everything we keep score but this one we don't I learned my lesson the hard way, um, but basically you you break them up into their into their teams that they had drafted on their own. By the way, we do a draft in the locker room. It, guys have been traded for a pack of Skittles and and you know different things like that. So it's a lot of fun. But coaches get up there first, and we kind of tease the guys. You know, you know, I'll uh, you know I'll make fun of a guy here about what he says or what he dresses like or whatever, and then we basically open the floodgates to. Uh, to get razzed for the next hour and a half. And so you, anything is fair game as long as it's, you know, respectable. So to each program, you kind of got to draw the lines a little bit, but it is the most, it's the funniest thing I'm a part of every year. It, it's hilarious. The guys just have freedom. Most of the time they clown coaches and you find out how corny I actually am, but uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, and then again, they feel like, well, coach isn't sitting there as one of these adults who's judging me and stuff like he's just he's one of us right now there's a respect level but he's totally in it and he's okay with this and and it's it's done wonders for our program boomer i i absolutely love what you just shared that is so powerful because i think great coaches don't just always wear the coach hat i think we've got to be able to put on different hats and there you were able to take off that kind of coaching hat and put on the one of the guys hat just Boomer the person, uh, be the person that you are probably around your friends, around your kids. And I think that's just so powerful. But I think for us as coaches, we really struggle knowing when it is appropriate uh, to, to kind of, you know, take off that coaching hat and, and show a little bit of ourselves. It, it, it can seem a little bit intimidating or a little scary at time. And we're a little unsure, unsure or uncertain of when it's appropriate. So I thought you might be able to speak a little bit to that. Well, um, I still look like I'm a college student, you know, like I, <laughs> I, most people are like, are you sure you're not the team manager? You know, we've, we've got out for away games on the road, upper peninsula and the rest will come up to me and be like, you know, so where's your head coach? And I'm like, yeah, he's, he's still in the locker room. He'll, he'll be out. <laughs> um, so, you know, when I take that hat off, I don't look any different. Um, <laughs> where more mature coaches, you know, they look like the actual coach. Um, but I think I think there's one word, JP, and it's it's humility. 
Uh, and I referenced those people earlier. You look at the greatest leaders in the world, um, whether they're in their athletic world realm or not, they just have a humble sense about them where there's no pride. And as coaches, we can fall victim to this ego or our, our career record or how many teams we've led to this or how many guys we've, um, you know, had named all American or all conference or, you know, our reputation. And I think that that inhibits us to get down to the level of our players because they just don't care. We talk all the time about in 20 years, no one's going to care where you played or what you averaged, you know, like unless you're playing in the NBA, like you're not going to be remembered as a basketball player. You're going to be remembered for so much more. And, and as a coach, probably the same thing, you know, like they're not going to look at us and be like, wow, you, that play you drew up, you know, against um, Grand Valley in January 2nd, 2018 was incredible. Like, they're going to remember, Coach, you remember that time you said that stupid thing and we all made fun <laughs> of you and we were laughing? Like, that was great. You know, like, you just have to be able to humble yourself and recognize that just because you're older and maybe learned a little bit more through your experiences, you've been in these shoes too. And, and all you wanted was to feel like you were accepted and belong and were growing and were challenged and were encouraged. And so that's just an opportunity to show them, like, I'm just, I'm, I'm one of you, you know, I'm a dude that's trying to figure out his way through life. And, uh, and I love being a part of it and growing through that with you. If that makes sense. Sidebar, real quick question. What do your players call you? Uh, the younger ones call me coach boom. And, and then the coach gets dropped once you become like a junior and then it's just boom. Um, and, and truthfully, I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, they, uh, we have a great relationship, and um, yeah, that that doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, no, I I found that interesting. Well, first off, you have a really cool name and Boomer, so I you know <laughs> I, I wish I had a cool name like that. But no, I just think that's 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 really powerful. I mean, I I remember my transition from Ireland, where everyone just called me JP, to coming to Tennessee and feeling like I had to put that coach in front of my name to get respect and. And honestly, I think respect is earned. It's earned through the relationship aspect, and you know whether a coach feels like it's necessary or not. I, I've I've actually learned it's not necessary to gain that respect. So, and I think that to your point, JP, I, I think that's an identity issue, right? If you find your identity, and I'm this coach, and I'm supposed to be in charge, like you're you're just going to be lonely at the end of the day when you when you look back and realize like that just doesn't matter. Um, for us, our identity is building faithful husbands and loving fathers and, and, and changing family trees and, and watching these guys stand up in each other's weddings, because that, that's going to, that, that stuff lasts. We're up after the stuff that lasts and they're not going to, you want to, I don't know, that, that gets me going because I agree with you. And, and it's something that I wrestled with when I was younger. Um, but now I just realized that just doesn't matter. And being able to see you in action, Boomer, there is no question that your players have respect for you. I mean, it, it isn't, it isn't like a boundary that is blurred and it makes it more difficult for you to hold them accountable or to get their best effort or to get them to compete. And I think that's in large part because that respect is is driven by your love and commitment for them, you know, and in the same way that it would be in any other relationship in our life. And I think sometimes we're afraid to get to that place. And so we use what's comfortable, which is, you know, the title of coach or the authority of the position um to demand that respect but as you said it just it just doesn't go as deep 
as when you're invested in them as people. Um, well, I want to ask you one more thing here about the retreat and then maybe just a couple of practical things about um, some of your things you do in practice. Um, but one of the things I was most impressed about was your session on real talk. You mentioned before that you do put-ups with players during the week, and there are times that you do that during the season. Um, but one of the things I thought was so awesome about the way the retreat was sort of structured is it all kind of built toward, at least the one that I was at, that Saturday night session where everybody's crammed in this little living room, right? And and you have this real talk session. Um, you want to just give us an idea of, of kind of what that is and why that's so valuable? Absolutely. Um... And this is this is a dangerous adventure to go down, um, but it's so worthwhile. You know, I love the quote. Everything I think it's John C. Maxwell who says, um, "Everything worthwhile is uphill," right? And that just resonates with me so much. Um, it's not the easy things that you're going to remember. Um, it's it's the hard things, and, and this is something that is hard to do as a leader is to put put your team in this situation. But I used the word fruitful earlier, and that's just the best way to put it. We've seen so much fruit come from these conversations. Um, and it doesn't solve everything, but it opens the door to have honest and um, truthful communication. So real talk is um, when you get your whole team and your staff in a room, and again, this is borrowed, this is not a Boomer Roberts creation, but um, you basically open it up and it can be anywhere from a put up, which is encouragement and building other guys up to a challenge, which is, you know, um, Nate, I think you can do a way better job leading with your voice, right? Like everybody follows your lead, but you don't ever talk unless you're talked to. Like we need you to talk. And that person, again, has to look at you in the eye and receive it. Um it can get deeper than that, right? Where, where I've seen guys get called out for their behavior or, or their integrity or um, the way they treat people when, when um, you know, a coach isn't watching or a professor isn't watching. And, and it just, um, everybody has thick skin, right? It, it, in society, that's just, that's just how we are. Nobody wants to be criticized. Um, but when it comes from a place of love, right, we talk about that. Look your brother in the eye and whatever you say, think about it. I, I have this thing, pray, think, pray, speak, pray about it, think about it, pray about it, speak about it. And normally that will get you to the point where what you say comes out of love and it comes with a goal in mind of a shared vision. And so um, those things have lasted. Sometimes we don't start that till midnight or one in the morning and we've been going two days in a row and guys are tired. Um, and they haven't been on their phone, so they're itchy, you know. Um, but sometimes those have gone two, two and a half hours, and they've just been so fruitful. And we've seen tears. I've seen six foot ten, two hundred and fifty five pound grown dudes crying and hugging their brother and saying, "Thank you for saying that." Um, we've seen guys get defensive, and then two weeks later, they'll bring it up in a practice and say, "I needed to hear that." Um, and obviously, you know your team better than any of us if you're if you're listening so you know what's appropriate and not but for us it's just been incredibly valuable and it and it, and coaches are involved too I've been called out for stuff and gosh talk about swallowing your pride JP like that is hard because you think this is the right way and then you realize like five of my guys don't think it's the right way and maybe I should self-reflect a little bit so um it's really powerful 
is the entire weekend is it trying to build to that moment where that guys will share you know truthfully because i feel like many coaches out there are probably like yeah but i can't get my kids to do that like you said it's really hard it's an uphill battle so how have you found it to be most effective to setting the stage that is a a fruitful conversation great question and one of it is one of the reasons we've been able to make it so fruitful um, is because we don't do it immediately right it's not the first weekend of the year where guys don't know each other and they don't feel comfortable around each other um, they've spent time in the dorms, they've spent time eating, they've spent time competing together. They've won, they've lost, they've dove on the floor, they've taken charges, so they're starting to get to know each other. Um, and then the second really valuable thing, and this is hard for me because I'm a relationship guy. I love to talk and communicate and get on the golf course and swing the sticks and compete and all that kind of stuff, but you have to embrace the silence because you open this up and no one's gonna be like, all right, JP, this is what you stink at, bro. Like, you got to get better here, 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 here. Like, nobody wants to be that guy. Um, being comfortable in uncomfortable situations. So sometimes we'll go like six minutes and no one will say a word. And people will be looking at me like, you're going to call this? And I'm just, no, we're, I know that people have stuff on their hearts to get off. I am not calling this. We're going to sit here until we resolve stuff. Um, and so, again, different age groups, probably different things are appropriate. Maybe it's it's a set of questions that you have and and you lead the discussion that way. Um, for us, it's just opening it, explaining it and opening it and getting out of the way. But um, being uncomfortable in or being comfortable in uncomfortable silence normally leads to people speaking truth in love um, as long as the respect level has been gained. Well, as we get ready to wrap up here, we all, always like to leave coaches with just some practical things um, to, to implement um, at the end of our at the end of our conversations here. So. I want to ask you just about just some little things that I got to observe in your program and just maybe tell us a little bit about how you've tried to build those things. And the first one is your bench, your bench enthusiasm in your locker room has been a big part of your culture. What have you done with your guys to try to create something unique on the bench? Gosh, it's getting harder and harder with the transfer portal. And, and you know, if, if you're not playing, everybody's just leaving situations. Um, Fortunately, we don't have anybody leaving, uh, which is which is rare for a college basketball team. Um, and it speaks to the chemistry that they've developed. This is not so much from the coach. Um, at that team retreat, we do three tangible goals and three intangible goals. Um, I put the first one on intangible every year. I want to lead the country in high fives. I'm, I'm a Phoenix Suns guy, born and raised in Phoenix. Steve Nash was unbelievable at raising people's level around him, and his whole deal was the power of touch. Like I said, butt slaps, back slaps, high fives. Like I saw Amari Stoudemire smoke like four layups in a row when he was a young pup, and, and Nash was right there high-fiving him every single time. And then they became the most dynamic pick-and-roll duo in the league. And I really think that's because Steve Nash just encouraged and encouraged and encouraged so that's normally the first one. So we want to lead the country in high fives. And then our leaders have kind of taken after former leaders that they've learned from in the program. And almost every year, this is not forced. They, they say we want to have, in our, in our verbiage, is the most lit bench um, in the country. And that's not quantifiable, right? You can't, you can't look at that and say, well, our bench was litter or more lit than theirs. It's just something that's evident when you come to a game. Um, and so we talk about that, like 
how how's your attitude how's your effort how's your joy um and is this really a family if it's really a family i get excited when my wife does something well not just when i do something well i get excited when my sons do something well if you're really invested in our family it's not just when boomer roberts does well it's when the rest of our team does well that i'm engaged um and so it's it's just kind of created a culture of its own and it takes work but uh guys totally buy in and and uh, if you're not, then then we're probably not the place for you. How about in the weight room? Whew. Um, the weight room. Uh, well, we blast music. Um, I, I just think, um, I meant to say this earlier. So many leaders have this bar, right? And they're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold the level, right? It's going to be right here. And you guys all got to meet it or surpass it or we're never going to reach it. This generation, that's almost impossible. Because I just don't think people want to drive so hard to reach that goal. At least your whole team. Maybe you'll have one or two. So for us, we decided a couple of years ago, we're going to get in the mud with you and we're going to lift you with us. Right. And 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 what does that mean from a practical standpoint? That means I might listen to some music in the weight room that I don't really enjoy that kind of gives me a headache. But our guys love it right? We do music in the weight room. You do, we do music in practice. We do music in shoot arounds. I got that from Chip Kelly. I went to an Oregon football practice in like 2012 and he was one of the greatest coaches in the country at the time. And, and this dude had music blaring every like 20 yards, different speakers. And his guys were playing so hard. And I straight up asked one of his assistants, like they can't even hear the coaches. And they said, by this time, coach, they don't need to hear us. They know what to do. And it's all about competing together. And I was like blown away. So in the weight room, it's we have a strength coach. We're fortunate enough to have that at the NCAA Division II level. I know not everybody listening has that. But I've been the strength coach myself as one of the weakest cats and terrible bodies you've ever seen. Um, and it's just showing them what to do. It's turning the music on. It's laughing and competing and sweating and doing it with them. And and honestly, the results we've seen are, are pretty special, except for mine. I look the same. I get made fun of for that, but uh, just not in the cards. I got a couple of questions about that, actually. You know, one of them is I love is, you know, you're just your description of getting in the mud and lifting, you know, with them. Right. Like getting in the trenches that to me, that's the difference as a coach between calling people out and calling people up. Right. Is you're in the mm. trenches, you're working with them. And I think that's. Obviously, so many things that you've talked about today in relationships and we're growing together, come back to the idea of calling, calling your guys up like because you're, you're, you're in, the, in the struggle with them. But just kind of a, a, a more of a technical question around the music aspect because you're a person of faith. You know, the music, you want to listen to their music. I know that that's sometimes been a struggle for certain coaches of, you know, some of the lyrics and what goes on there. So I'm just curious from... From your standpoint, what type of music you guys actually do listen to? <laughs> well, a lot of it is hip hop, right? And and we're at a non faith based institution, um, so that you know, we we still edit everything because we lift in a in a public place that is shared. We have a nice weight room, but it's shared by, mm -hmm. um, you know, the general public of the school, and so we want to we want to be very respectful. And you know, what you put in your own ears in your locker room and in, in, in your time is is up to you but if it's public we're going to make it something that is invitational not um it it doesn't separate us right and and so um 
I've been at faith-based institutions. I've been at, um, you know, where I am now at Purdue Northwest. That's not, so you got to be careful with that. But I also think, um, again, it's, if you want your team to compete as hard as they can for each other, with each other, you got to do the things that they want to do in certain areas. And, and for us, it's, it's hip hop and, and, and I get out there. I, my rap name is Skittle because it's, it's like Eminem. And then right below him is Skittle. I got some bars. Um, the guys don't really like my bars, but they're, they're classy. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just a sacrifice a little bit. You got to be careful with it depending on where you're at. But if you can find something that they relate to, then get your ego out of the way, take a back seat, let them have their moment and then watch the fruits just unwind in front of you. Last one we'll ask you about here. What does love, joy, and toughness look like in practice? Uh, Noel Larkins, my assistant. <laughs> no. Um, love, joy, and toughness. Um, I think it starts with the way you enter the gym. It's a mindset, right? Um, all of it. I won't, I, I won't share publicly. We, we, have, we have guys on our team who have, um, I've coached guys that have had three of their close friends die in a matter of three days. I've had guys whose parents have gone through divorces or who's, um, who have experienced um, verbal abuse or emotional abuse, what, whatever, who have, who have gone through breakups with, with girlfriends um, who, who are struggling because they're so far away from their homes. Um, and I just, we talk about the gym being a refuge, right? Let it, let it be something that when you walk in, this is a chance to just leave everything else outside. And, and so your attitude and effort should only be concerned about one thing. How do I make this family better? How do I sacrifice myself for making this family better? And, and when you see that, like guys bounce in on their toes, they come sprinting in, they got smiles, they're laughing, the music's playing. So from the start, you know, man, these guys love competing. They love being around each other. They love the game of basketball. You have to love it to play college basketball. You can't just be good. You have to love it, right? Um, and that's joy, obviously, too. Um, and then within the practice itself, it's, I think it's all about communication, right? If a quiet gym, and my whole team would echo this right now, is a losing gym, right? A quiet gym is a losing gym. If you were raised in a big family, dinners were loud and <laughs> headache-induced and, and chaotic and amazing, right? And I just want our setting to be loud and a little bit chaotic and amazing because it's so evident how much fun they're having together. So um, as you're competing, you know, we encourage a little smack talk in our program. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, so are you raising each other's level? Is there joy in the way that you guy takes a charge? Do you, is the whole team sprint after and pick him up? Hey! When you win the game and you get on the baseline, because we run win or lose. Losing team has more, but winning team, you know, running's not a punishment. It's a discipline. Um, and so we get after it, win or lose. Are you, are you talking while you're running? Are you smiling? Um, and then toughness. Shoot, loose balls, deflections, taking the charge, boxing out. And then how about when a coach gets on you and says, hey, Johnny, you call that a box out, man? That was soft. And Johnny doesn't roll his eyes and stuff. Or, or, or three guys pick up Johnny and go, hey, Johnny, man, you got the next one. Let's go, bro. You know, and for that, I guess to take it even to a larger one, my last thing here, 
is is when the players start calling each other out and start encouraging other. And as a coach, you go, hey, and, and, and Mike goes, coach, man, I got this. Johnny, that was soft. And you're like, wow, that's love. That's joy. And that's toughness. And Johnny responds to Mike because he knows he's in the fight with him. Um, can I just share my favorite uh, thing that I observed in your practice? And I've actually used this footage with our teams uh, since I was there. You guys were doing a three-on-three denial drill in the half court. It was really competitive. You had a big seven-foot redhead guy, and you had a dude from California that were matched up against each other. And uh, it got really heated. One of them got thrown to the ground. The next possession, he threw the other guy to the ground. You know, everybody's barking on both teams. I mean, I'm thinking the police are going to confiscate this footage for evidence, you know, where this thing is going. And so, you know, you get to the end of the drill, you get winners and losers. And I kept the the footage running because I was just really curious to see how those guys were going to respond. And they turn and they start walking toward the water together. And they look at each other with this, like, really intense look. And then they just start laughing and they pat each other on the back. And I like it was the most amazing symbol of what it means to be tough and to compete and yet then to walk away and have it not affect their relationship at all. It was, it was really powerful. Um, and I've been using that with my teams ever since. Well, I appreciate that. Um, like I said earlier, we're imperfect. You know, you saw a good day. There's plenty of bad days. But uh, I think it comes back to making sure you have the right people in your program. Um, the right type of guys or gals who are about what you are, whether you're a high school coach or an AAU coach or a college coach or a businessman, um, to some extent you control that. And, and uh, when you get the right people that are like-minded in their vision, um, and then you just guide them and nurture them and pour into them and you focus on the roots over the fruit, I, I just think that's a byproduct. Um, and that shows that, man, we, we've got a chance to be special. Um, as, as a family, not just, you know, in our win-loss record. That's it for our conversation with Boomer Roberts. We're so grateful for him coming on the podcast. You can follow him on Twitter, at Boomer Roberts. Now, coaches, before I let you get out of here today, there's one other thing I wanted to share with you uh, that many people may not be aware of, and it's kind of relevant to our conversation that we had with Boomer Roberts today. And that is that Uh, Myself and Nate, uh, through the mentorship program and the support that we offer many coaches around the country uh, virtually at at a distance, um, many of the programs or teams that I support, uh, support, I also go and visit. I do two to three day on-site consulting and culture coaching experiences. And this is everything from running workshops for the coaching staff, workshop for for the parents, um, workshops for your team, as well as observations of the, the, the culture through the practices and through one-on-ones with the players. Now, if this is something that you're interested in, the, f- the first step you need to take is to schedule a call with myself or Nate. I'm going to put a link in the episode details of this podcast. That's all I've got for you there. Thanks so much for listening to the Coaching Culture Podcast.